You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. We are in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 46. So I'll give you a minute here to open up to Matthew 26, 30 to 46. And this is the word of the Lord. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to the Vine. Uh, If you're newer around here, starting a new job, going to school, just checking out churches, visiting family, we want to welcome you here. And I personally would love to get to know you. We have some time today. Uh, Zach mentioned my name is James. I am married to the most beautiful member of the Vine staff. That's Jackie over there. Um, You can see for yourself. We have two wonderful kids. We live out in Verona. Zach mentioned I, I work at Epic. And I'm really thankful for Zach and James in Houston, our sort of regular teaching team for giving a lot of guidance. They share a passion for the Bible with, I think, all of us, that we can get to know Jesus on a personal level through study. Uh, They're really helpful for me. Uh, The the title of this sermon is not going to be Jesus and his friends go to the Olive Garden, as was my original suggestion. Instead, today we're going to talk about crises and how we handle ourselves in the face of anxiety and trials. If you've been joining us just for the last few weeks, you might have noticed that it's a we're different, uh, different study here. We used to be going through Romans 12 in the Madison Multiply series. 
And then next week, you'll notice we're going to be going through the vision series, right? Gospel, community, and mission, what we're all about. Sorry to steal the thunder there, Steffi, for the end. Um, so, but we're, we're faithfully journeying through Matthew. We've been on this journey for a long time, uh, since the beginning, at least the beginning of 2019. I reviewed some old sermon notes and saw that we were in the Beatitudes in February 2019, and I had met some new friends that week, Meg and Alan Nobles. Shout out to them if they're here or if they're online. Uh, so we've been on this journey for a while. We're faithfully journeying through Matthew. And uh, before we begin, I'd just like to pray uh, for us. Lord, I ask that you would increase in this room and we would all decrease, that your words from 2,000 years ago will speak to us today and we would be able to apply it to our lives. Heavenly Father, speak to us. May your Holy Spirit fill all of us today. Amen. Do you remember when toilet paper was the craze? Remember this in March? Why do you, do you have any uh, indication of how you're going to explain that to your, you know, grandkids of like why toilet paper was the answer to our crisis from March 2020? I sort of wonder why like that was the, the answer that we were looking to. Um, and while I didn't buy a bunch of toilet paper, I will confess that I was the sort of person that went online and I looked up remote places to move to in South Dakota as there were lockdowns facing. That was my, that was my freak out moment uh, with, with COVID. I don't know if any of you had similar stories, uh, but I thought of moving to the woods. Um, instead of going to the Lord, and what we're going to see today, to sort of let the cat out of the bag, what we're going to see is Jesus gives us a model for how to respond in crisis. So the big takeaway today, Jesus is going to give us a model for how to respond in crisis. As you look at our passages for the day, we have verses 30 through 46. We've got a lot of ground to cover, folks. And if you look at verses 30 through 35, we have uh, Jesus' disciples are sort of the center of the action there. And then verses 36 through 46, we see Jesus at the center of the action. So we get a nice contrast. Just immediately, I hope you see that Jesus and his disciples are going through testing, trials. And Jesus is not shy about going through testing himself. And we're going to see what are the different responses that they have. So let's first go through verses 30 through 32. The words will be up on the screen. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So they're singing a hymn. They just had Passover meal. Imagine being one of the disciples, and Jesus, he just called out Judas as someone who's going to betray him. And we don't know when Judas left the group to, to go get people, but maybe he was gone now, and the disciples are leaving Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, singing a hymn, high emotions. And then Jesus hammers them with this news. You're going to go through a crisis. You're going to fall away. And then he gives them a quote from the Bible. Uh, I'm curious for those of you that have study Bibles or if, if your Bible has like a little footnote. Do any of you have, in verse 31, Jesus gives them a Bible quote. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Do, do you all have where that's from? Any of you have that written down? Zechariah, that's right. Zechariah 13, 7. 
And when Jesus is quoting from the Bible, this is something we should take seriously. I don't think he's trying to fill up page space. <laughs> I think he's trying to get his disciples to see something, a bigger picture. And verse 7 is in a three-verse poem. So what we're about to do is we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. And I hope you'll trust me that when Jesus is quoting from this verse, we're going to be looking at multiple verses for a good reason. It's because one verse out of context doesn't quite work. Those of you who, you can get the Bible to say almost anything, right? If you just choose one verse. But Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see through Zechariah 13, 7 through 9, a broader point about crisis and how to respond. So the, ver- the verses will be on the screen here. This is Zechariah 13, 7 through 9. It says, Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. We go, we go back one. I just want to pause here as we're going through. This is the verse, this is verse 7. Uh, the setup here is, hey, there's going to be a crisis. The shepherd's going to be stricken. Uh, in city groups this week, you're going to study this passage in greater detail. I kind of want to get to the payoff here for us this morning. So there's going to be a crisis. Shepherd's going to be stricken. Uh, the, the little ones here is in reference to the sheep. Verse 8 continues on. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. Uh, the, this third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. So there is a division of sheep here. And if that makes you uncomfortable, like it makes me uncomfortable, uh, see James's sermon, James Davenport's sermon in July. That way I don't have to cover that ground. He did. Uh, so th- this is a little bit strange, but there's a testing and a division and there's a refining fire. And I mean, does anybody want the job of explaining fire from, uh, from a stage in church? It's, not a super pleasant image, but this is all about refinement, right? About, you know, sort of boiling out impurities. There's going to be a testing. There's going to be a trial, and this is to root out impurities. But the payoff is here in verse 9 at the end of verse 9. It tells us what our response should be. These are God's word to us. God says, they will call on my name, and I will answer them. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. Look at who's doing each action. We are the ones who are supposed to be calling on the name of God, and who's providing the answer? God. God is. Sunday school answer. You got it right. God is. God is providing the answer. And contrast this. I want to immediately jump to contrast who's providing the answer with what actually happens. Look, we're going to go back to Matthew. So Jesus has now said, hey, shepherd's going to be stricken. You know how to respond to crises. Look at what Peter and the disciples do. Matthew 26, 33 says, Peter answered him. So look who's providing the answer. Peter answered him. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And that last bit, Peter's not the only one. All the other disciples are on the hook too. They followed the loudest voice in the room. How tragic is this? We should be allowing God to provide the answer. And Peter, just like us, 
maybe look to Google for their answers of how to move to South Dakota. Furthermore, the tragedy is, I think, multiplied because if, think about the prescription in Zechariah. They will call on my name, and I will provide the answer. I will answer them. So God is the one answering. We are the one calling on the name, and what is Peter going to do? He's going to deny the name three times. He's going to deny the name. It's tragic. I think we have a lot to learn from how the disciples are responding to these crises. You know, here they're, they're sort of denying that the crisis will exist, or they're turning to the loudest voice in the room, or just resulting in their own confidence, like, I got this, God, no, no worries. This, the prescription in Zechariah is, call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to see, as we continue to looking at Jesus' crisis, how does he handle that? Let's go to verse 36 in Matthew 26 now. We're going to uh, transition to, instead of the disciples being the center of the action, we're going to look at how Jesus is the center of the actions. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is Jesus' response to crisis. How does he handle a testing? I want to give us a setting. I want to give us a little bit of a picture. Um, take a break from the text for a moment and give you an image. Uh, Emory, we can cue up the image of the Mount of Olives. Here we go. Have anybody, has anybody been here? Has anybody been to the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, really? A couple of people? Oh, awesome. Okay, well, you can correct me, because I've not been. Uh, I've been in, in, uh, in this image, though. This is a group descending the Mount of Olives. So this is sort of the journey that the disciples and Jesus would have taken. That fancy building is the Dome of the Rock Mosque, where the temple would have stood. And I think the point is, for you all to notice, oh, and then there's some buses. You see, like, the, the, the buses are really tiny in the distance. There's this valley in between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, the capital. And Jesus doesn't flee and stay in the mountains. You can see, to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was historically is, is in the valley, Jesus had to descend. Jesus and his disciples had to geographically make themselves more vulnerable to get to this Garden of Gethsemane. Doesn't Jesus know that he's going to be betrayed? Doesn't Jesus know that he's going to be arrested? But you see, he doesn't shy away. He knows there's testing. He knows there's crisis. And he descends into the valley. He, just, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, um, I've, I've, heard of this, I've heard of this story for years. If you've you know, been to church around Easter, this is a pretty popular uh, text to cover during that time since it's part of the Easter narrative. Uh, but I never, I never knew what Gethsemane meant. The name of a place is kind of significant in, in biblical terms, right? If you, if you go back to the Old Testament, there's, you know, the waters of Meribah is where there's bitter water. It's like brackish water where the people couldn't drink it, but also the people became bitter against God, a double meaning. 
we're, we're pretty lazy with our place names this day and age, right? Like, I live in Verona, where it was named after a city in New York, which was named after a city in Italy. <laughs> Just, uh, sort of arbitrary, but in, the, in biblical times, the name of a place should carry a double meaning for us, and Gethsemane means oil press. Oil press. Olive oil, by the way, in case you're like thinking about drilling for, for oil or something. O- olive oil press. And Jesus is descending into this valley where there's a pressing of olives. And olives would have been pressed into oil for food, for lighting lamps, and for anointing of kings. I think that's pretty cool. That's a good connection. And I looked up to see how olive oil is made. Uh, I have an image for this one, too. This is how olive oil is made in ancient times. I don't know how it's made today. But we have on the left uh, a rolling wheel that sort of molds or, you know, it crushes all of the olives. These images for me were really helpful in trying to understand what crisis Jesus is going through. When he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, what is this pressing that he is feeling? And a picture's worth a thousand words, right? On the left, we have stage one where the olives are are, uh, turned into like a paste, like a food processor. That's what's on the left. And then on the right, you see uh, this, this guy's turning a vice. Underneath that vice, are a bunch of mats, and the paste is spread out on these mats and stacked up, and then they squeeze the oil out of the olives. I hope the pictures speak a thousand words to you about how Jesus is suffering here. Jesus is suffering, and in 2021, I don't really think I have to do a lot of setup for letting you know that like mental health, spiritual health, this is real, right? Jesus is pressing is, it's not just this Spiritual pressing, it is it's mental anguish in his humanity, too. It's spiritual, it's physical, it's mental. I think Jesus is being pressed on all sides here, He's, but yet he descends into the valley. He goes to the garden. And what's Jesus' response? Look in verse 39. What is his response to all of this pressing? Where does he find himself? The, the Son of God, what does he say? He says the first words, My Father. My father. Think back to Zechariah 13.9. They will call on my name, and I will answer. So what's Jesus doing? He's calling on the name. It's amazing. He's, he's giving us this model for what, what do we do in our crisis? Do we, do we hop on Twitter to see, like, what's the, the latest news on this thing? Do we, do we check, you know, CNN.com or whatever? You know, with, on automatic refresh, what do we do with our emotions and this anxiety? What does Jesus do? He puts his face on the ground and says, my father. In his sorrow. Sorrow to the point of death. I don't know all of your stories, but I know some of your stories. And I know that sorrow to the point of death is a reality for some of you. And look to what Jesus does. He calls on the name of the father. There's a lot more we could get into. I, if you really want to dive into maybe why the disciples you know, were falling asleep, what does that mean, or why he chose Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, there's so much we could talk about here, but that's, that's for a different, a different day. Today we're focusing on Jesus' response to crisis. And so uh, I hope you're getting the point now uh, through verses 36 through 41 that Jesus is going through a crisis. But in the end here, we're going to see how Jesus' crisis, how his trial is unique. Let's go to Matthew 26, 42 through 46. 
Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So there are some things about Jesus' crisis, his trials, his testing that are unique to him that we don't endure, that Jesus endures. Firstly, did any of you notice he's talking about drinking and a cup? It's kind of strange, strange image. I mean, if, you've, if you study the Bible for a little bit, you probably maybe have heard about the picture of the cup of God's wrath. Have you heard about this before? Jeremiah 25 says God has wrath on the nations. The nations is a stand-in for a collective sin, all of human sin. And God has, he's going to pour out his wrath on the nations so that he's going to exhaust his justice on all sin in this cup of wrath. And I don't think I need to convince you that uh, humans, when we get together, we can do really great things, right, collectively, uh, more so than we could do individually. But we also are really capable of problematic evil as a, as a species, right? As a humanity, we do far worse things than we would do individually. And God's judgment is for all sin, not just our individual sins, the, the, the secret lies we tell ourselves, but collective human evil as well. And Jesus is taking systemic evil, societal problems. He's doing all of this. He's drinking the cup of wrath. Notice he says he's going to drink the, the cup is supposed to be poured out on the nations. But Jesus is readily drinking it. Jesus accepts this. This is, I think, God's answer. Remember it says, you will, they will call on my name and I will answer them. The answer is Jesus is going to drink the cup. Spiritually, sin is going to be erased because of Jesus absorbing it. The full judgment on sin Jesus is going to take into this in this cup. And Jesus' unique acceptance of the cup is about to happen. If, if, uh, if the cup of God's wrath is judgment, guilty verdict, fast forward a couple hours. I hate to spoil the story, but Jesus is going to be found guilty. He's going to be pronounced. He's going to be sentenced to death, the very punishment for sin. He's going to be executed outside of the gates as someone who belongs to the nations. The nation's wrath is going to be exhausted on him. So Jesus is both spiritually drinking this cup on our behalf, but he's also, in reality, facing down his own death. Let's not forget that. Jesus is facing down literal death. He's in this valley. Jerusalem is up on, on, on one hill. The Mount of Olives is on the other. He could easily flee. He might see his captors coming down from the hill in the middle of the night with torches to come get him, but he doesn't flee. He doesn't run. And look what he does. This is, this is a crazy story. If you look at verse um, 45, he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep, take your rest later on. The hour's at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. He's, he's waking up his disciples to say, hey, I'm about to get arrested. Wake up. Come on. 
if you had told me that this was something that happened last night, like there was a party and, you know, the cops came and, you know, when they came, I sort of woke up on my friends and I was like, hey, watch, I'm going to get arrested. It's bonkers. <laughs> it's just, you would expect the ending of the story to be, you know, I, I, and I, I ran. All my friends, they were the ones who got arrested. Jesus is accepting the cup. He's accepting the cup on our behalf. So this is how Jesus' crisis is unique. One that we don't get to endure. Thankfully, praise the Lord. He drinks the cup on your behalf. And if you have never heard the gospel message before, I hope you hear it now, that Jesus drank the cup of wrath, all of it, for you. You don't drink it. He does. And here's, I think, the best part. Jesus doesn't just drink the cup of wrath. He gives something else. He gives the cup of blessing. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you, talking to his disciples, until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus knows he's going to be drinking this cup of wrath, but there's a cup of blessing that he gets to enjoy in his resurrection, and he gets to enjoy it with his disciples. This is amazing news for you, that Jesus did not just drink the cup of wrath, he turned the cup of wrath into a cup of blessing that he shares with us. And so when we, when we drink and we eat of the, the bread and the, and the cup a little later on, keep this in mind. This is a gift because Jesus suffered through the cup of wrath on our behalf. So what do we do with this information? This is a lot. I mean, praise the Lord that he's doing this, first of all. Praise Jesus that he did this. But what do we do in our crises? Do we refresh the news? Do we tell the Lord, you know, hey, in my, in my trials, in my sorrow, uh, I'm not going to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to listen to, you know, a Peter, uh, the loudest voice in the room. Am I just going to listen to my favorite podcaster, my favorite blogger, or just look to my own comfort? Am I going to open up my bank website and look at the numbers there? Am I going to, you know, shut my ears to the world in crisis and just live in my own comfort and turn inward? That's what Peter seems to do. course, we should follow the lead of Jesus here. So here, as we get to application, I want to give you two points to apply to your life. For those of you note-takers, here are your two points. One, call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. That's, that's like a fancy way of saying pray. You need to be in prayer. I think we all need to be in prayer in crisis. Instead of running to my laptop, running to my phone, running to friends, we should be calling to the Lord. I mean, Jesus doesn't exclude his friends. I want to put that there. Like, you can be in community. Jesus, king of the universe, is going to his friends here, but his friends let him down. He, he's still engaged in community. I don't, I don't want to erase that. Nate's message last week is really important. We need to be engaged in our communities. But Jesus says, my father, and we need to be praying to the father. And I want you to examine your heart. What are you, who are you calling on if you're not calling on God? If you're not calling on the name of the Father, what is your first call to? The second application point is letting God provide the answer. Letting God provide the answer. So if the prescription back in Zechariah 13, 9 was call on the name of the Lord and he will provide the answer, we need to let God provide the answer. And I think this is actually the hardest part for all of us. Because it's not as easy as just like putting your ear to the ground to find out what is God telling you, right? We can pray. 
That's good. We can do that part. But how do I let God provide the answer? Look at what Jesus says. He says, not my will, but your will be done. He looks to the Bible. He knows the struggle is a reality. And I, I hope that you, and when you examine your life, when you examine your heart, you should see maybe small struggles. Maybe they're large struggles. I don't know. But where are you looking to yourself to provide the answer? Perhaps you struggle with, with lust and an addiction to pornography. And you think, you know what? I got the answer. The answer is, I'm just going to sort of keep this hidden. Perhaps you struggle with, with greed and you think, you know what? It's just money. It's sort of the way our culture works. It's fine. I, I don't have to give, you know, I don't have to give. It's fine. I'll just keep my pocket tight, close my ears to the problems of the world. Maybe, you're, maybe your struggle is identity and you're listening to the world to provide you with your identity instead of what scripture is telling you that you are. That you are one of God's people. Back in Zechariah, as we allow God to answer us, he says, they are my people. So if you're allowing God to answer, you will be his people. And if you're not a Peter providing your own answer, maybe you're one of the disciples and you're just following. You're just sort of going with the current. I can't examine your heart for you. The Lord can. The Holy Spirit can. So call on the name of the Lord this week and listen for his answer. Look to the Bible. Be in community. Ask for your community. As, as city groups are starting up this week, talk about how you can be a community that's encouraging and providing answers to people as they struggle through their crises. And then I want to give us one very, very practical sort of checkbox. The gospel isn't about checking boxes at all, but I want to give you one thing that you can do today, right now, to apply to your life. Did anybody see where Jesus got his source material from for his prayer? Anybody pick up on that a little, little bit in his prayer? He says, my father, and he tells his disciples not to enter into, into temptation, let your will be done. Anybody recognize it? No? The Lord's Prayer, thank you. The, the Our Father Prayer. Um, and I learned this, I memorized it as a kid. And uh, so I sort of think about it as a verbatim prayer. But if you look at Jesus here, he is, um, he's praying the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, God's Son in Christ, prays the Lord's Prayer. And so I can think of no better way for us to conclude than to pray the Lord's Prayer. And perhaps a challenge. Say it seven times this week. Or every day, I guess. Um, not legalistically. But pray this. Make this your own prayer this week. Call to the name of the Lord and let him answer you. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. The words are going to be on the screen. Why don't you pray with me? Our Father... Pray with me. Lord, we ask that this prayer be our own this week. May your glory endure forever. Yours is the kingdom. You inaugurated it. Lord, I ask that your power be present in our lives this week as we call to you. We go through crises big and small. We feel sorrow to the point of death. We feel anxiety. We feel panic attack. But you give us a model for how to live 
our lives, and it's to call on the name of the Lord in our crises. It is to let you provide the answer. God, I ask for each of us in the room that we would let you provide the answer and that we would not be providing it ourselves, that we would not find ourselves answering too quickly or saying the same as those who do. Jesus, thank you for accepting the cup of wrath on our behalf. Thank you for drinking it, and thank you, Lord, for giving us the cup of blessing which you want to share with your disciples anew in your Father's house. Lord, praise you for the gospel message today. We pray all of this in your holy, amazing name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.